0: Hello and welcome to this, which is the fourth episode in our little sequence of podcasts about the lifetime of the Weimar Republic. This is a little special this time because I'm joined by a proper grown-up historian who ought to know better rather than you having to listen to a bunch of washed-up teachers talking. Uh, So I'm very pleased to welcome Mr Stephen Graham.
1: Hello, Mr W. How's How's it going?
0: It's, it's it's going very well. You are of course the host of your own podcast, uh, Faces of Fascism.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, which you have been good enough to plug on this uh, podcast previously, haven't you?
0: Yes, yeah. Because it's it's always good to have more information, even if it's more than you need for a GCSE. <laughs> oh, entirely. <laughs> there's no such thing as too much detail. So no, no. today what we're going to do is you're going to have a little chat with us about Uh, the nazi party and where it comes from where it goes but can we just kick off right at the beginning what would you say fascism
1: is i mean what is it well i mean this is the the thing that i've been trying to pin down in all of my work because Mm. um there really is no such thing as fascism (laughs) but it has no it has no set text it does it's not like Mm. communism that no one sat down and wrote a volume that said, these are the beliefs. It wasn't until I think Mussolini had been in power for about 10 or 15 years before um, an Italian philosopher sat down and wrote an encyclopedia entry on what fascism actually was. And even then (laughs) it was still pretty nebulous. Um, I I mean, it grew, uh, aside from the personality of Mussolini himself, yeah. There's very little that you can say actually is fascism, and even its original program, uh, which was essentially a socialist program, but because they'd all been thrown out of the socialist party, uh, none of these, none of the items in their program really became what we would think of as fascism. For example, uh, in their first manifesto, they wanted to bring in universal voting rights for everyone over the age of eighteen, including yeah. women. Um, they wanted to bring in proportional representation, uh, do away with the monarchy and hereditary titles, uh, war um, attacks on war profits, uh, do away with church property, and uh, it was you know a very you know hardcore left wing uh, manifesto, but with this um, and with this nationalism tagged on, which had developed through throughout the course of the First World War, but then that was only done. It was rather cynically by Mussolini as a way of remaining relevant. Yeah, he just wanted to, he wanted to latch on to all those soldiers who'd come back from the war, and found the country ungrateful. There were, were no jobs for them, so he was just sort of harnessing them uh, with that. And so, like, so that was fascism when it started, but it didn't translate into other countries, because when you go around. It, um, around Europe, Italian Fascism has very little in common with Nazism. Mm. It has a Nazism has a collectivism at its heart. Yeah, uh, and uh, sort of, it it's wants to create a classless society, but one that's of course based on uh, racial segregation.
0: Volksgemeinschaft, our old friend there, the idea of the national community.
1: That's the one, and um, I mean, and then Franco had more of a, a an extreme conservative view of how the country ought to be run. And that's, so he was very pro-church and pro-monarchy until the monarchy failed him by being overthrown. Hmm. Whereas, of course, you know Mussolini, extremely anti-church. Hitler never had any time for religion as a child or as an adult. And then if you go around, even on a smaller level, I mean, fascism didn't particularly take off in Scotland. But if you were to um, go to the west coast of Scotland in Glasgow the small number of fascists you had there they were extremely anti-catholic whereas mm. here in Edinburgh they were very pro-catholic so it really just boils down to where you are in the country and what the overarching prejudices are of the okay. individual and that and so to that extent i would say everyone is kind of his own fascist in Fine. a way but um yeah you, it's if, just if, something that you cannot pin down
0: okay well if if we if we zoom it in a bit then and we have it cuz we where we're going to look at here is we're going to look at 1923 which mm-hmm. is the first sort of crisis point for the Nazi party so we've got the Nazi party the National Socialist Party and it's interesting based on what you said that there is that mixture of nationalism and socialism baked in there as part of the advertising if you like mm-hmm. um so what what would what what would you say are the main things that we can look at with the nazi party and say this is what they are this is what they stand for
1: well that's the the fascinating thing about them is that the the national socialist party has nothing about it other mm. than the person of hitler yeah. that marks it out as different it, it grew out of so many other parties i mean anton drexler he uh, He was originally a member of a party called the uh, Free Workers' Committee for Good Peace, Mm -hmm. which had itself uh, split away from a party called the Free Committee for a German Workers' Peace. And then there's all these other societies like the Thule Society, which used the swastika as its emblem, and Rudolf Hess was a member of, and the, uh, the, the German National Protection and Defiance Federation. All these groups emerged after the war with the same agenda of being anti-liberal, anti-Bolshevik anti-Semite mm. and pro-worker and the the interesting thing is when we consider what are essentially very right-wing groups being very into workers' rights it's you have to bear in mind that uh, politics in Germany evolved along a, a slightly different way as we would now understand it uh, now that uh, for example a lot of socialists and left-wing uh, politicians in Germany were very, at the same time, nationalist and anti-Semitic. They they believed in the rights for the worker, but not for the outsider. And the conservative establishment of Germany had, ever since Bismarck, always accepted that the state had to provide workers' insurance against accident and sickness, and uh, also provide, uh, you know, just general rights for the worker because the worker were an intrinsic part of. The successful nation state yeah so yeah, so it's the left and right are a lot more mixed than uh, we would understand it now but i mean i always think left and right are outdated um terms anyway it's a, it's an overhang to yeah. the french revolution that doesn't bear any resemblance now yeah uh, okay but,
0: yeah. so nope. oh, sorry no so mm-hmm. the the nazi party is set up Uh, out of the other parties just after the First World War by Drexler. He's he's the first member. Uh, Hitler comes in put there to spy on them as part of the program of domestic intelligence being done by the army after the war. Mm -hmm. And then he very quickly becomes, as you say, the defining thing. The thing that makes this party stand out against all the others is him. Uh, what is it about him that makes him so useful?
1: Well, um, before Hitler was sent as a spy to uh, go and have a look at the German Workers' Party, as they were at that point called, he'd been um, employed by the army to go around bases uh, where you have to remember in Bavaria that a socialist regime had just been overthrown. And Hitler's job was to basically recondition the men in conservative thinking and nationalist thinking and to teach them of the, uh, the, raw, the evils of Marxism and uh, the wrong types of, of uh, capitalism, namely Jewish capitalism. And Captain Karl Mayer found Hitler, who was an extremely enthusiastic uh, instructor. He, Hitler had discovered in doing this that he could speak and that he could encourage discussion amongst the men and that they were very keen to to join in and imbibe everything they'd learned. So Mayer discovered that Hitler was you know, quite a compelling talker as well as being uh, you know, very enthusiastic for the, the nationalist cause. So he, he went along to the German Workers' Party, which it had been beginning to attract more of a middle-class um, audience, as well Hmm. as the, which was something that, that was another thing that was slightly coming out um, to differentiate it from the other parties. But I mean, Hitler was not impressed by the party at all. In fact, he described it as club life of the worst manner and sort. He thought that (laughs) that it was boring and unoriginal, even the speech that was being uh, given at the meeting he went to, he'd heard before uh, because it was done by an economist who was one of his teachers when he was training to be this lecturer. Um, According to the legend, though, and this is the story as Hitler tells it, so it's probably not true. But the story goes that uh, after the speeches, there was a discussion held by a professor who spoke in favour of Bavarian separatism. And Hitler stood up and gave this great pan-Germanic diatribe, which caused the academic to leave the venue with his tail between his legs which extremely impressed uh, Drexler as well as others. And he said, well, you know, we can use this guy. And so they gave him a copy of his pamphlet. And the week later, Hitler came back and decided to join the party. Um, Now, this is where it gets a bit more uh, curious, again, is how you, you have to depends who you listen to, because Hitler would later tell the story that he saw the party was very small and he could rise to prominence very quickly in it. But his captain says that he ordered Hitler to join the party, and in Mm -hmm. fact, soldiers at that point were not allowed to be members of political parties. But Hitler remained in the army for that for well until um, until March nineteen twenty, and so he still received his soldier's wage and could therefore devote himself full time to the party. Mm -hmm. Now, what Mayer's reasons for doing this, we're not sure. But I mean, it would have been amazing foresight for him to imagine that this. Tiny party of which Hitler was only the fifty-fifth member. Um, his membership number was five 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 to try and make it look like they had more people. Yeah. But for him to think that this was the vehicle through which the uh, the nationalist uprising was going to be uh, facilitated is an amazing piece of foresight on his part. Again, <laughs> if it's true. And this Hitler's speaking. No, sorry, it was. Yeah, but it was Hitler's ability to speak. It, which began to attract people. This rather eccentric, shabby-looking guy, but he, with his extremely compelling way of talking. Political speakers in Germany uh, in the Weimar era were very robotic and stiff. They read from their notes. They didn't move very much. Um, it was like going to a lecture, mm. whereas Hitler, he learned his speeches by heart, so it made it look as though everything was off the cuff but it was meticulous, even as every movement was meticulously planned yeah. in advance. And they would take the the listener on a journey from the awful situation we are in through to redemption. And it would be sort of uh, punctuated by the the raised fist of anger and the, the pointing finger of accusation and uh, the, the, the outstretched hands of imploration. He'd be... Uh, he could really sweep an audience along with him.
0: Yeah, the, the, um, a couple of things used to pick up on there. that um, the In terms of the, the speeches and the preparation, Hitler was notoriously work shy, but he would spend hours honing these speeches. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the, the performance as well, there's all those lovely photographs taken of him rehearsing so that he could look and see what shapes he was making and decide which gestures he wanted to do. I just wanted to pick up on one thing you said there, which I think is very useful for us as a revision Mm -hmm. thing, uh, which is about the inherent unreliability of a lot of the things that come out of the Nazi state as sources Mm -hmm. and interpretations later, because there's obviously a huge amount of myth-making going on here. So all the things about Hitler, I saw this, I could see the future, all the rest of it, as opposed to what maybe happened. Likewise, the membership number is changed later to make it uh, somewhere
1: in the low teens, I believe, as well. Yeah, so it's a a similar trick that all dictatorships do. mm -hmm. I mean, um, Mussolini, um, who Hitler would very obviously take all of his cues from... um, Mussolini claimed that there were fewer than 50 people at the first meeting of the fascist party. Yeah. Because the whole point was to promote this idea of a a small, powerful minority of people being able to influence the masses which is all about, you know, about how one personality can dominate.
0: I just wanted to say that when you're doing the interpretations questions, you have to make sure that you bear in mind that anything that comes out post-1933, which is talking about what happened before 1933, is to be regarded with extreme caution. <laughs> because, because they're not in the business of giving us historical fact, they're in the business of painting a picture. Mm, so, absolutely. so we've got Hitler now in a position Where he is drawing people into the party he, uh, He's giving these speeches These speeches are getting people to join And give subscriptions Getting them to pay for entrance to the meetings And things are motoring along very well in Bavaria He's still very local mm. And then he decides to make a move. Now how much is this, do you think influenced by what Mussolini's just done.
1: Well, three days after the March on Rome uh, there was a Nazi speaker who literally told the beer hall Germany's Mussolini is Adolf Hitler mm. this was the uh, this, this was the the thing they were really going for. They had a, and later on when they had a, could afford a party headquarters, they had a bust of Mussolini in their entrance hall although <laughs> Although Mussolini himself was not uh, interested in Nazism by that point. In fact, he, well, I mean, he wasn't particularly interested in, in it at any point. He uh, found it all you know, a load of arrant, racist, unscientific nonsense. Which, to be fair... Yeah, yeah indeed. But when you're, when you're talking about um, the questions of interpretation and how uh, we have to be careful um, of officially released stories... The Nazis fell hook, line and sinker for the story of the March on Rome, (laughs) which was a march, but it was a march in the in the sense that it was a parade. Mm -hmm. Most of the men were unarmed. There weren't as many of them as people thought. Um, There was a lack of communication between the police, the army and the king and the prime minister. The police could have put the, the rising down at any point. The army definitely could have but the king was fearful of a civil war. The prime minister and his rival for prime minister were trying to outmaneuver each other to get into office. Uh, Mussolini took no part in it. It would have gone ahead with with him or without him as he had whipped everyone up with his rhetoric. But then as always, when the time came to make a decision, he kind of backed out. (laughs) So Mussolini spent the entire time in his newspaper office in Milan uh, by the telephone worrying a lot. And uh when but then when the king was told that thirty thousand men were right outside Rome and the Prime Minister had resigned, the 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 invite just went out saying the the king has asked you to yeah, Well, firstly they'd asked would Mussol- would Mussolini be a cabinet member in one of the Liberal Prime Ministers' coalition governments? That gave Mussolini his confidence back and he said, Well give me that in writing and then later on it came, the, the telegram came back saying the king has invited you to become prime minister.
0: That's interesting. So uh, Hitler, Hitler's got this image in his head and so does the rest of the Nazi party and I think that's important. Mm. They've got this image in their head of how this can be done in a way that's not going to be a failure like the cat putsch of earlier on yeah. or the Red Rising or all these other ones that there's been attempts for. That They've got this image of how this is going to work so they're, they're going to go for it. I've got a question for you, which is how how much weight do you give to the notion that Hitler is forced into action in 1923 by pressure from the more radical elements of the party below, that it's they want to see some action now, and if they mm. don't, the wave's going to break and members are going to start trickling away and the momentum will be lost.
1: Well, I would say that was 100 percent the reason for it. Mm. Um, he had whipped up, with his tremendous speechmaking, he had whipped up the members into such a frenzy, and with men like Ernst Rome under him, who were men who lived for war, they didn't want you know he, he, there was a brilliant quote from Rome where he said, "I am an immature and wicked man, and so I prefer chaos to good old-fashioned bourgeois order." <laughs> he he really, you know, he was a guy who'd been in the trenches. He was he very much believed in sharing the hardships of the men under him. He was, uh, you know, he was an old soldier basically. Yeah. Um, Ernst
0: Röhm, sorry, just to fill in, just to make sure mm-hmm. you should all remember this anyway. But Ernst Röhm was the head of the SA, the stormtroopers, the paramilitary wing.
1: Indeed, and as a and as a, a, a bigger revolutionary you, than Hitler, definitely was. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, but but he was a man who was after revolution for its own sake but he was yeah so that pressure was coming from below and then at the same time though there were all these other right-wing parties in in uh, Bavaria who were making their own plans about rising against Berlin and Hitler didn't figure in them and that's why he became extremely impatient uh, there and of course there was also the um, the figure of the the right wing nationalist figurehead, who was uh, General Erich Ludendorff, our boy, who yeah. was uh, the great war hero. He was practically a dictator of Germany for the second half of the First World War, but he didn't figure in the plans of these people either. He was a bit too hot for mm. uh, this sort of. Uh, the the legal revolution that these guys had had in common
0: the actual attempted revolution then mm-hmm. so the plan is that they will march on the government buildings in munich uh and they will seize those and then from there they will copy what they believe to have been mussolini's winning tactic yes and they will march on berlin and this starts as all good things do in the pub
1: <laughs> yeah but I get, uh, I get, the funny thing about it all is, again, though, is that Hitler was, because of his impatience and because he'd been pressurised so much, he'd been painted into this corner, he had to act on this specific night of the 6th of November. Yeah. Um, when they met to have a planning meeting, I mean, you have pretty much described the entire plan. There wasn't much beyond that. <laughs> but he met with the Volkish leaders. Ludendorff claimed he wasn't there. But Hitler had demanded to have this meeting with uh, von Kahr, who was the uh, sort of minister president of Bavaria and one of the right-wing plotters, but because he thought, you know, I need in on your revolution, but but they were not planning one. Goring as well, who was there, he was trying to um, advise caution. He said, if we wait until the night of the 10th of November, we can use the element of surprise, arrest all of our enemies in their beds... It'll be extremely, uh, you know, easily done. But Hitler was adamant. And so, yeah, the plan was seize all lines of communication, occupy public buildings, arrest the union leaders, the government, uh, the Bavarian government, that is, the communists and socialists. We set up a provisional Reich government uh, with Hitler as head of government. Von Karr would be the the provisional head of state ludendorff in charge of the army and the uh, the head of the the army and the police in Bavaria would be ma- be made ministers now Hitler, he naturally having this one-track mind that could never account for variables <laughs> and could never conceive of anything going wrong he figured that carr would agree to this with no resistance yeah, yeah. and and so th- and that was the entire plan. The, o- the other fault of the plan, of course, was that it was so shrouded in secrecy that even some of the top Nazis weren't made aware of it until the day. The SA weren't told until about the day before. And quite. I, late I have to say,
0: with, with what you're describing to me here, Stephen, I, I can't believe that anything's going to go wrong with this plan, with this level of detail. And, and focused approach to it, this has got to go perfectly, surely.
1: Entirely. Um, the, and in fact, for for later on, I mean, it's an excellent example of how the Nazis yeah. will come to run government. Yes, absolutely, um, yeah. Um,
0: Compartmentalised, no discussion, mm-hmm. no overall plan or vision, and no patience.
1: Yeah, everything so, is chaos.
0: Yeah, so the night arrives, uh, Hitler goes into the meeting that Carr's holding, fires his gun Mm -hmm. into the ceiling, and then presents this to Carr, expecting, as you say, that Carr will just agree with it. Mm -hmm. And Carr, not being stupid, says yes, and then Hitler just lets him go.
1: Yeah, uh, (laughs) there's some brilliant stories about what happens during uh, just even that opening point. Because Carr is making a speech around at 8.30 in the evening. There's 3,000 people in this beer hall, the Berger Bar Keller. It's a massive uh, place. On, and it's, it's, It has two levels. Then suddenly a heavy machine gun is rolled in to the back of the hall and trained <laughs> on the room. So people are starting to think, hang on a minute. <laughs> and then the next thing they know, Hitler is in the middle of the room standing on a chair having fired his gun declaring that the revolution has started and the building surrounded by 600 men. I'm sure there were not 600 <laughs> men there. Almost five men! <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, he said that the the Bavarian government had been deposed. And then, yeah, he takes Carr and his Lossau and Saisa, they are the heads of the, the, the Reichswehr and the police, he promises that no harm will come to them and he leaves Goring in charge of the room. And at this point, the the crowd are... Because Hitler is still... Even though he's a compelling thing, he's still seen as quite comical to a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of the attendants at the meeting, they talked about feeling like they were sort of bit players in a sort of pantomime of a South American uprising. <laughs> and Goring... You can
0: imagine it. If you're certain... You could imagine yeah. that you'd just be going, "What? what? What is this guy doing? What's going on? I don't... Yeah.
1: And Goring... Goring's classic appeal for calm is you've got your beer <laughs>
0: so. oh again you can't argue with that either no, no, so no. so he's he, he, they let car go and car goes and immediately um sounds the alarm mm-hmm. well,
1: and so, so goes to the goes to the police station
0: yeah now uh. the calculation here if i understand correctly the calculation is that, firstly, the the police and the army will be on their side, because they're right-wing, just like they are, mm-hmm. but also they won't open fire on two war heroes. Well, certainly one war hero, Ludendorff, mm-hmm. and somebody who's a decorated uh, soldier like Hitler. Is that is that the thinking there, that... They're just not going to open fire on them?
1: Well, they, I don't think they even thought that. They didn't think that the situation would arise where they would be pointing guns, never mind opening mm. fire. They thought that when the SA got the word to go and take the barracks and the police stations, no resistance would be given. Yeah. Uh, of course, again, this didn't happen. <laughs> also, the, the SA, other than go to these places, they didn't receive many orders beyond that. So they were they were wandering the streets of Munich... A bit confused, some of them started to just sort of mill away <laughs> because they didn't know what was happening because <laughs> no orders were coming through at all. Uh, I
0: just got this fabulous image of brown shirts just wondering, "What we do? I don't know.
1: Yeah, we... go home. Just go home. Yeah, a bakery. It's early morning by now. A bakery will be open. We can get some lovely fresh bread." <laughs> Or something. <laughs> uh, one popular myth, though, about the, um, the the Munich putsch is that Ludendorff didn't arrive until way later. He actually turned up at nine pm. Oh! And so he was he, he he arrived on time and in the uniform of the Imperial Army. So mm. he was yeah he was presenting his war hero credentials at yeah. that point. He was brilliant in the war.
0: Oh! <laughs> Did you know? Don't don't get sidetracked. <laughs> don't get sidetracked. You need to stick to what we're on about here.
1: That's true, but, I mean, there is this... St- well, th- the listeners can go and find out for themselves of how Ludendorff captured a, a Belgian city single-handedly. So I can leave that with you. The Siege of the oh. Age. But... Um,
0: so, yeah, to, bring any- back, yes. to bring us back... To bring us back... So... <laughs> so Hitler and uh, a group of uh, his... Most trusted fighters—the people who become known as the old fighters. Uh, there's about two thousand of them. Is that right?
1: Yeah, roughly. Yeah, they're they're, uh, si- they're sitting in the beer hall and they're trying to figure out a plan. Um, the because
0: this is the time to come up with a plan. Uh, completely. Once once you have declared that the revolution has started, yeah, this is now the time to
1: plan it. And when when the police and the army are moving against you, when <laughs> when soldiers are being brought in from outside of Munich. Uh, when barriers are going up When po- all your Nazi posters have already been ripped down And replaced with posters saying This insurgency is illegal It has no support from the government um, So there's, so one They thought of um, armed insurrection Which Ludendorff immediately said No that's not happening yeah. uh, The only proactive Decision Hitler made was to He ordered a squad to go and rob the uh, The money printing Presses so that the men Could be paid <laughs> Around. Yeah, yeah. and the SA men were paid in 50 billion mark notes uh, with the, <laughs> the situation being what it was yeah. eventually Ludendorff decides we'll take to the streets again the aim isn't clear, they're not entirely sure where they're going hmm. but they think we'll stir the masses we've got our war hero figurehead and yeah it's around, by, so by around noon the following day 2000 men leave the beer hall Destination unknown <laughs> It's a, I mean it, The whole thing is foolproof isn't
0: it Yeah it's it's uh, yeah, ironclad Ironclad <laughs> So they, they go marching down the street mm-hmm. um, And They're met by a line Of armed police or soldiers Is it the it's army po- or is it it's the police,
1: police? It's, They pass one cordon Which um, steps aside And then they approach One of the main squares in Munich The Audienceplatz. And yeah, mm. there's a much larger police cordon uh, waiting for them. Uh, the party decides that they're going to march on.
0: And at that point, one would assume that because this has been so well planned and there's been nothing left to chance, that they, this, this second cordon will simply step aside and
1: let them carry on. Mm. Yes. Uh, yes? Yep, indeed. But no, someone fires. No, mm. one, no one is certain who fired the first shot. Yeah. Um, Ian Kershaw believes that the Nazis did, and I'm, and he's probably the the final word in all things yeah. Third Reich. But yeah, within thirty seconds, uh, sixteen Nazis and four policemen are dead, uh, including a man called Erwin von Eschubner reichter who was the man he was ma- marching arm in arm with Hitler, mm. and he was hit in the lungs and killed instantly. So if 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 that bullet had just been a couple of feet to the to the right. You know, yeah. the entire course of history would have gone the other way.
0: If, if you've been in my class for uh, Year 9 history, you will have done an exercise where you try and figure out exactly what happens, what Hitler does when the shots are fired, which is another interesting exercise in um, the official version.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he, he, was either, he either dropped or was pulled to the ground. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his right shoulder was dislocated in the process. Yeah. But um of course his enemies would say that he dropped as a sign of cowardice. Uh, yeah. I think the Nazis tried to say that he threw himself on the over the body of an innocent child to protect him or something. And
0: attempted to lift the injured boy up and carry him away which was how the shoulder was
1: dislocated. Yes.
0: Um, but anyway, and uh, Goering goes down, having taken a ricochet to the groin. Yeah, um, and is actually taken in by two Jewish sisters. He and is looked after. Uh,
1: Rome is arrested.
0: Yeah, uh, quite. And Ludendorff. Um, L-
1: Ludendorff stays upright, and he continues to march, and he reaches yeah. the police line unhit. And then, <laughs> uh, and then he, he he gives them his word as an officer that he won't flee, and so they say, "Right, you can go." Yeah. <laughs>
0: Is <laughs> uh, Hitler is captured three days later
1: Yes uh, uh, he, He's lying low at the home of a Nazi donor Called Ernst Hanstago Yeah uh, Who uh, had also by this point fled the country uh, As he was also a marcher
0: So the the instructive thing I think for us uh, When we're thinking about this for exams Is that The the Munich Putsch The Beer Hall Putsch is not very well planned It's fair to say
1: Yep completely uh, the, only, uh, it's, the it's, only alternative plan Hitler had was the four bullets in his gun, which he'd threatened to shoot Karl, Carr, uh, Losso, Scheisse and himself if they'd refused mm-hmm. to join him. That was the right. the only so the, the only other plan he had was rhetoric.
0: <laughs> That's a hell of a backup plan. Um, mm. And
1: shoot yourself um, first, then me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's not very it's not very well planned. It's not very well executed. And it collapses. Mm. But that's probably not the most interesting thing. Because the most interesting thing is what happens after. Mm. So there is a word. It's a nasty word. It's a big word. It's a word beginning with T. And it's the crime of attempting to overthrow your own government. Mm. And the crime is treason.
1: That's the one. And uh, Hitler, Hitler and the others are put on trial for it.
0: Indeed. And the maximum penalty in the Weimar Republic, because the Weimar Republic, being incredibly democratic, incredibly liberal, has done away with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So the maximum penalty for treason is life imprisonment. And to be honest, not that it's going to be an issue, but there is really no defence that Hitler can offer here. He is banned to
1: rights. Yeah. He's also and not he... even a German citizen. No. Um, he claims to be stateless. When he entered Germany, he claimed to be stateless. Uh, but mm. no, he is still legally an Austrian citizen. So as well as imprisonment, he, by all rights, ought to have been deported. Absolutely. So
0: he's put on trial. And to give him his due, he doesn't try and declare that he's innocent. I suppose it's probably worth saying at this point that German trials work very differently to ours. Mm. There isn't a prosecutor and a defence lawyer. There is a judge who is an inquisitor who asks questions, or a panel of judges in this yeah, case. Yeah, I, I think
1: this trial had about five judges.
0: Yeah. So oh, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what's, what's so important about this trial? What happens at this trial? Because this is this is vital here.
1: Well, this is where Hitler goes national Mm. This is where Hitler is reported in the papers And uh, becomes a figure in the media And is able to project himself and his ideology To Germany as a whole And he's allowed to do it by Well, uh, you see, it's judges Judges are known for being old and a bit reactionary Mm -hmm. Uh, They were not uh, the most unbiased of audiences Hitler, having, he'd, when the coup failed, he fell into a horrible depression and yeah. was a despondent shell, but then this returned his confidence. He was able to awaken again that stage performer and use the same rhetoric and speechifying that he'd done in the beer halls. So, he didn't, he, so Hitler pled guilty. His first massive theatrical gamble was to plead guilty. For, to these crimes but he wouldn't it wouldn't be done out of regret it, he would glory in these his argument yeah. was that the true judge of him would be history and that such a crime of treason could not be valid because the crime of november 1918 of the surrender of uh, of germany in the war had still gone unpunished. This Weimar Constitution, he asserted, it had no authority. Otherwise, why could uh, von Carr have been help- uh, given dictatorial powers? Surely that was also treason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was, and he was allowed to do this completely uninterrupted. At one point, a judge let him speak for four hours. He was also allowed to cross-examine uh, the witnesses himself, including Carr, Lossau and Saiser. He said that they were complicit by agreeing at the beer, beer hall to join him. So why were they not on trial? And then, funnily enough, it was Lassa who said he, he poked fun at Hitler. It's, you know, he said you're are jumped up belief to be the new Mussolini, but he planted that notion in the mind of the public. Yeah. And yeah, the the whole thing though was a, it was a carnival, basically
0: i mean it's it, it's worth remembering that William L. Shira, who's in Germany at this point reporting for the american press mm. has has never heard of Hitler until this moment mm. and then he's he's able to say so hitler is 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 from this this jumped up little guy in the beer halls of Bavaria, as you say it he he becomes known, and I think the key thing is, as you said, it's the ideology the the message. The selling points of Nazism, the scapegoating, the the desire and drive to make Germany a great power again, all of that is then projected nationally across the entire country for everyone to
1: hear. It's, the point should also be made as well, though, that the main thrust of his rhetoric at this point was not one of anti-Semitism, even mm-hmm. though Hitler was no. still a yeah. huge anti-Jewish Ribbitly. conspiracist. Yeah. Um he said, I wanted to become the destroyer of Marxism. Yeah. And that's what resonated with the public. A- Nazi yeah. anti-Semitism never had huge backing the way his no. anti-communism did.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good point and well worth remembering. Because the fear of communism is that that force of negative cohesion that brings people into the Nazi Camp if you like who want Nothing to do with Hitler Or Mm. the rest of the Nazi program But because he looks like the best bet For destroying communism He's the guy we'll go for Yeah. Yeah. Okay so He is obviously guilty he has pled Guilty Mm -hmm. he Is standing up there and saying Yes I did it and I'd do it again So obviously He is going to get sentenced To life imprisonment isn't he
1: well, funnily enough, um, the the president of the court, a judge called George Neithart, he uh, issued a spoiler right at the start of the case, <laughs> saying that Ludendorff would be acquitted. And it was he who allowed Hitler to basically have the run of the court. Mm. And so when uh, the sentences were passed down, the, I mean the there was the press and the public fully expected Hitler to go down for a long time before being booted out to Austria yeah. and it turned out he was fined uh, f- he was he was sentenced to 5 years and fined 200 marks 200 gold marks mm. the sentence didn't consider the robbery of the currency printer or the death <laughs> of four policemen yeah uh, and the and deportation was ruled out on account of Hitler's war record which included two mm-hmm. Iron Crosses and a number of injuries for his country, for his adopted country. Yeah. Um, Rom was given a suspended sentence. He was released immediately uh, from remand. Ludendorff uh, was insulted to discover that he was acquitted. And uh, <laughs> Hess, who was the other the sort of big name at the time, well, or who was actually there, he got 18 months. Oh, in fact, Hess's involvement in the in the uh, the putsch is another really interesting one because he was left with two hostages in the beer hall when everyone else marched out. He, he, had, he had two uh, government ministers who had been at the meeting and who had surrendered themselves when the list of arrests was read out. So Hess was left with these guys. When he heard that the, everything was going pear-shaped, he commandeered a car and tried to drive out of the country with them By the by, the the following evening, he had to. I mean, it it was getting dark, so he decided to stop at a farmhouse to find lodgings and to write a a letter to his parents. At which point, the two ministers got in the car and drove back to Munich.
0: (laughs) There's there's a film in that. How has nobody written that film yet?
1: It's the ultimate buddy comedy, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Okay, so Hitler ends up in prison uh, in. Uh, Landsberg prison mm-hmm. for uh, uh, apparently for five years, and he's basically banged up with Hess um, uh, again in another little buddy buddy movie sort yeah. of way. Now, there's two things I want to pick up. First, obviously spoiler, he does not serve the full five years. Mm. He's in very cushy conditions. The photographs of it, he's not in a uniform, he's lounging around in his lederhosen. Yep. He's got visitors coming in the whole time eating a lot of pastries. In fact he puts a fair bit of weight on. Yeah, he must um, be the only
1: prisoner in history to have ever gained weight while inside. <laughs> and in fact it it was his weight gain which turned him to vegetarianism when he comes out.
0: Ah interesting, I didn't know that.
1: Yes, yeah, so he decided to go on a health kick. But uh, yeah, you talk. I mean, most prisoners at Landsberg were in a cell of up to five inmates. Hitler Mm. was given two cells, on the corner of the first floor, so he had lovely countryside views. Um, It was furnished, (laughs) as you said. He could wear his own clothes rather than prison uniform. Um, The uh, prisoners got to eat from the same menu as the guards, and they were also given a pint of beer or a half bottle of wine every day. And in hot, civilized. Indeed, in hot weather you got an extra pint um, You could also get <laughs> On doctor's orders you could have some schnapps It was you know, I mean, Hit, And Hitler himself was never a drinker But you know Alcohol is good currency in, On yeah. the inside So yeah he, 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 he was very comfortable And of course now he was a celebrity People were volunteering to be imprisoned So they could be around him
0: mm. Okay so He's in prison He's released after a ridiculously short time Mm. However, there are there are two real moments of importance. There are two important consequences of this. The first one is the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Four and, and, and a half, half years of struggle one, against lie, stupidity, and cowardice. To give it its working yeah. title. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> uh, uh, one one of the things I often say to my classes is. is by all means, you can try and read Mein Kampf, but Oof. I wouldn't. No, I would Not because it's it. evil, but because it's <laughs> terrible. It's I, I actually usually put what, a page up on the whiteboard, and the students get all the way through it and then go, hang on, that's all one sentence. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Because he stands there and he dictates the book to Hess, and Hess just types
1: up what he's saying. It went and through something like a dozen editors. Uh, from everyone from Hess to Ernst Hanstagel to I think even Hitler's driver had a go <laughs> to try and make some sense out of it. It's, and Hitler it had very bad handwriting and his spelling and grammar were always terrible. Um, mm. That's something that went through him his entire life. Yeah, it's not uh, a book that can be followed or studied at any. No. Great. Uh, one it- rumour about the book... Was that it was suggested to him by fellow inmates who were sick of his speechifying, <laughs> but of course what then happened was every evening in the uh, the common room, Hitler would instead just read out that day's work <laughs> to them. So they were they had to put up they had to listen to him anyway, and Hess um, banging away on a typewriter into the small hours.
0: So the book is useful for our, our purposes, Mein Kampf, because it does lay out very clearly the overriding messages which are going to be taken by Nazism and pushed out for the next ten years until the moment of destiny in 1933. The drive to overturn the Treaty of Versailles, the blaming of the November criminals, um, the anti-Semitic conspiracy lying behind it all, the, the hatred of Communism. All that stuff is there, and the drive for living space in the East. Mm. The clear intention that there is going to be a war in the East at some point, and to do that, they're going to have to rearm. And it's it's all there, but it's written by a nutter in a jail cell. And so, of course, nobody really takes it particularly seriously.
1: It's also, like all of Hitler's thinking, it's there is a far-off point that He is describing Something way in the future Almost ineffable On the horizon Mm. He gives no indication On how we're going to get there What policies are going to be enacted To bring these things about Yeah But it's what's going to happen And this is again what will happen When the Nazis are in government Hitler, well you can't even really call it government It's more like a a king's court Hitler has an idea All of his underlings scatter around and through their own interpretation of how it's to be brought about, they try and enact a policy that will please Hitler.
0: Working towards the Fuhrer.
1: That's the very thing.
0: Okay, Uh, so that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is, obviously, while Hitler's uh, away, (laughs) to use the euphemistic term, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scrabbling within the party for who's going to take over. And the party more or less falls apart.
1: Yeah, but there weren't many Nazis left, any top Nazis, no. left at liberty after the, uh, after the the failed putsch. So a no. man was left in charge. He was um, he was an Estonian-born man, I think, uh, and he was called um, Rosenberg, Alfred Rosenberg, um, who was not popular in the party he was a crushing bore of a man he was a he was a self-styled intellectual he wasn't charismatic he was cold he was arrogant and yeah even the nazis weren't keen on him (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i know i mean even the nazis didn't like him what's your material like if they're not on with you um, but the thing with, and uh, people will interpret that as being Hitler's own Machiavellian mm. uh, plotting and deviousness to put a very unpopular person in charge, but we've seen just how good Hitler's planning is.
0: <laughs>
1: Hitler was so, the—he was at the end of his emotional tether, he was traumatised, he was under massive pressure, that was just the first person... The, yeah. the, who was available
0: and the only one because Hess is not there. Goering's disappeared off into the ether. Mm. Um, so, do you agree then that the the thing that comes out of this wilderness period in the in the mid to late twenties, uh, when the the party doesn't really function without Hitler, and Hitler comes back out and then reestablishes control with the new system, with the Gau and all the other bits and pieces. That it fundamentally changes the relationship of the leader and the party. So that very much now, the Nazi party exists only insofar as a support mechanism for Hitler, rather than Hitler being the head of the party.
1: Yeah, entirely. But before the putsch and before prison, Hitler saw himself as a drummer for the cause. Mm-hmm. he had he didn't see himself as the coming dictator, yeah he wanted to prepare the ground for the coming dictator. he saw but then when he saw you know he he saw the failure of the putsch as the party's failure of him. Mm-hmm. they had failed him personally. they saw the scrabbling he saw the scrabbling of power of Ludendorff, who was becoming even more conspiracist and crazy. He was very much influenced by his second wife and who thought that uh, the Jews had invented astrology to corrupt German minds. Uh, She also thought that uh, the the Jews were behind a series of um, German defeats in in the war. Uh, And he had a lot of anti-Catholic conspiracy theories as well, which does not go down well in Bavaria, which is a very Catholic part Mm -hmm. of Germany. Um, Eventually, Ludendorff became so conspiracist that the Nazis were publicly making fun of Ludendorff he became really? a, he became a very um, he, he was so fringe by that point and he had done nothing to and the, the rest of the right had no faith in him yeah and, and meanwhile Rome is still pursuing the revolutionary path so where we're at then is
0: the key things to remember about the Munich Putsch if, you, if you're going into an exam if I can just summarise it's driven by internal pressures within the party. It's poorly planned, poorly executed, but the major impact of it is that it makes Hitler a national figure and gives him that, that name recognition that's going to come into play at the end of the 1920s and into the early 1930s. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck with your exams.